Hi, I'm Dan Pramack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by General Motors. Today is Monday, April 26th. Apple is opening up in North Carolina, new Netflix signups are down, and we're beginning to get pretty worried about vaccine hesitancy. Vaccinating America was supposed to be about degrees of difficulty in descending order. Developing vaccines for a novel virus? Well, that obviously had to come first and was supposed to be the hardest part. But it got done in record time. Figuring out distribution logistics came next and, despite some early hiccups, has been a screaming success, as every single American adult is now legally eligible and 37% are fully vaccinated. The third part, achieving herd immunity, well, that was kind of supposed to be the third and easiest step. Sure, there would be some holdouts, people scared off of this or that, but if the vaccines were made, approved, and available, most people would take them, and life could get back to normal. Except that's not quite how it's working out. Lots of people are simply not getting vaccinated, with many states reporting more supply than demand. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services recently published what it called its vaccine hesitancy map, showing, for example, that 30% of people in Mississippi say they're unwilling to get jabbed. Nine other states, including Kansas and Georgia, came in at 25% or higher hesitancy. Meanwhile, the CDC just over the weekend reported that 8% of Americans who got their first dose of Pfizer or Moderna missed their appointment for a second one. All of this matters because none of these vaccines are 100% effective. So everyone is put at heightened risk for infection by those who don't get vaccinated. Moreover, a lack of vaccination can increase the possibility of new variants, and increased variants means an increased possibility that one could break through the vaccines. The bottom line? The message just isn't getting through, or not getting through enough, and that puts all of America at risk. So today we want to dig into all of this with Dr. Zeke Emanuel, who has advised both Presidents Biden and Obama on health policy, and who is currently at the University of Pennsylvania. That conversation in 15 seconds. We're joined now by Dr. Zeke Emanuel, who has advised both Presidents Biden and Obama on health policy and who is currently a vice provost at the University of Pennsylvania. So, doctor, let's just level set here between you and me. Are you vaccinated? It's funny you should ask. On Saturday, I got my second vaccine. All right. So you got your second one. We get this number that comes out from the CDC yesterday where they estimate that about 8% of people who have gotten a first shot of Moderna or Pfizer missed their appointment for their second shot. Is that percentage something you had expected, higher, lower? I actually don't know what I expected, but I knew that there would be a fair number of people who wouldn't get the second shot. There are multiple reasons. One is they got some side effects, fatigue, fever, chills, maybe muscle aches, and they decided it wasn't worth it. There are some people for whom it's a convenience issue. You know, it took us an hour from start to finish pulling into the parking lot to waiting at the end of the vaccine for 15 minutes to make sure we didn't have an allergic reaction and then walking to the car. I timed it and it was literally 60 minutes. I thought that was a great deal, but I can imagine for some people it's like, eh, you know, it's not worth my time. I get whatever 65, 75, 80% coverage from the first dose. You know, this is always a problem when you have to call people back. You know, you talked about you do have a a pretty high level of coverage just from the first shot. From a medical perspective, just help people understand what happens if you get the first one and not the second one in terms of uh, efficacy. Well, the efficacy definitely goes up. The antibody levels definitely go up with the second shot. 
most of uh, the public health experts and myself included say, you know, it's two weeks post the second shot when you're fully vaccinated and you can begin to interact with other vaccinated people without face masks indoors and just have a better sense that life can return to normal. We should remind people that even after the second vaccine, there is a chance you could get reinfected. And so it's not a 100% guarantee, just like nothing in life is a 100% guarantee. You talked about reasons people might not want to get the second shot. There also seems to be from some of the reporting that part of this has just been logistical issues with pharmacies. Do you think that's playing a major role here? I don't know that it's playing a major role. I think there's always going to be logistical issues when you're talking about literally tens and now more than 122 million people getting a vaccine. People are going to slip through the cracks and the information systems are uh, good, but not great. You know, we're talking about the issues with people getting the second dose. Let's talk about the first one, though, because there is some significant vaccine hesitancy in nine states, estimated 25 percent or more of the adult population saying they don't necessarily want to get a shot. So, again, an expectations game is hesitancy for covid vaccines more or less than what you had expected. Oh, I think it's actually getting to be less than what I had expected. So we're now over 42, 43 percent of the population getting vaccinated, even uh, with with at least one dose. That's very good. You know, in a normal year, we have about 45 percent of adults getting vaccines for flu. So this is pretty good compared to that. And those are the eager beavers, the people who wanted the vaccine and did whatever they could, like you and I, to get a vaccine as soon as possible. And now we're, we're in the last mile slow slog situation. There's probably 20, as you say, in some say 25 percent of the population who say never. And then there are the people in between. They're not resistant. Some of them are hesitant. They're worried. They get a lot of misinformation. And so they their beliefs may not be right. Some of them, it's a convenience problem, especially among the young. Is it really worth the time to go down, to go down twice, maybe to have to take a day off of work because of the bad side effects after the doses? I think that's the group we have to overcome. You can see the administration trying to overcome that by saying employers ought to give people a day off so that they can get the vaccine. Um, my own personal view, and we express this in the New York Times, is we actually need to begin mandating it. You know, I think every healthcare uh, facility ought to be mandating. I shouldn't go into a hospital. I shouldn't go into a physician's office and wonder, hmm, did that nurse, is that respiratory therapist, is that medical uh, assistant, does that doctor have a vaccine uh, or, you know, God forbid, I get it from coming to the healthcare facility. We really need to move to that direction. So when, just to follow up on that, when you say mandate, do you mean mandate just for healthcare professionals or, or broader than that? Well, I, I would start with healthcare professionals. Um, I don't uh, uh, understand why we should, uh, you know, when we, I, I'm a doctor, when I Went into medicine, right? I knew that I was accepting the principle patients' interests come first. Their well-being is what I am devoted to. We have lots of rules that flow from that. For example, physicians aren't supposed to have a conflict, financial conflict of interest. Um, they're supposed to put their patients' interests above their own financial interests. Similarly, we have rules. Patient interest comes first. Taking care of the health and well-being of my patient should be my first obligation. That's what it means to work in the healthcare field. And we should require people to live up to that with a COVID vaccine. It's hugely beneficial to them. And they should put the patients that they interact with and care for first. 
Speaking of medical professionals, right now, who do you believe has the primary responsibility for getting the pro-vaccination message out? Is it healthcare professionals? Is it politicians? Uh, there's not one vehicle. We need every possible avenue to get that message out. Again, if you look at the risk-benefit ratio, it's overwhelmingly positive. Uh, the chances of uh, uh, anything bad happening from the vaccine are very small. The chances of anything bad happening from COVID are high, much higher. Uh, and so people ought to get the vaccine on a risk-benefit calculation. Is, I'm wondering, though, if you have states in which a quarter of the adult population says they don't want to get it, is that a political failing of the White House that it just has not successfully communicated the message to the to its citizens? No, I don't think it's a political failure. You know, this, this White House, I think, has done an excellent job of rolling out the vaccine and its communication strategy. Remember, they inherited a problem uh, from the previous administration and President uh, Trump, former President Trump, has not been shy about disseminating misinformation about COVID, but even about the vaccine. Just a few weeks ago, about when the FDA suspended Johnson & Johnson, he had this crazy conspiracy theory. Again, more elements of misinformation uh, that has been spewed by him. And you see this impact in Republicans and uh, Trump supporters being more resistant to getting a vaccine. He was not hesitant about his getting a vaccine, and his supporters have taken that message. Is there a benchmark percentage of population, maybe that's localized, at states in which we can get or do not get to herd immunity? So there are two things I would say to that. <laughs> First, we don't know exactly where herd immunity is. It's 70%, 75%, 85% of the population that needs to be vaccinated and immune to COVID. What we do know is that more people who get vaccinated, more people who are immune to COVID, there is a progressive decline in the spread of the virus. We can see this already at the over 65s where the mortality rate has dropped over 80%. Uh, because of vaccination and other precautions. Um, and so the more people we can get, the better it is. Normalcy is going to return when we do get herd immunity throughout the country and not just broadly in the country, but also in our small communities and uh, uh, local areas. Um, and that's probably north of 70% of the population. So that has a third conclusion, which is we're going to have to get when, when the FDA approves or authorizes use of the vaccine in 12 to 17 year olds, we're going to have to get them vaccinated. And we're going to have to push for these studies of younger children uh, to be finalized. And hopefully they'll show that they're protected as well and get them vaccinated. Um, this is a full court press for every American. Dr. Emanuel, final question for you. When, when we see the percentage of people who haven't shown up for their second shot appointments. We're already hearing from Pfizer CEO, for example, that there's expectations of a booster, a third shot that would be required in a year. What, if anything, does the lack of second appointment attendance tell us about what we might see in terms of getting that third shot? It's going to be an even bigger slog. We really all have to hope that these shots have some really good durability. If they've only got durability for six months or even 12 months, it's going to be hard to ramp up this vaccination effort, all the, it's basically going to be a continuous vaccination effort. And that, I think, is just going to overtax the public and overtax the system. I think durability here is also going to be critical for the long haul. Pfizer CEO has already come out and said, we think you're going to need it in a year. 
That's what he's saying, right? Well, we don't know for sure because we don't have the data. This is just too new a disease and the vaccines are too new. Uh, we do know that people are out six months with good uh, immunity. It's an empirical question. You know, all of us can hypothesize, uh, but it's going to be an empirical question. I think the other empirical question is, well, maybe the first dose should be with Pfizer and the second dose should be with J&J and &J a different kind of uh, vaccine. That we don't know. And again, we're going to need research to show what the combination is that performs best in terms of immunity and durability. Dr. Zeke Emanuel, thank you so much for joining us. Take care. Welcome back. What we're watching today is India, which is experiencing a record number of new COVID cases and COVID deaths. Four things to know. First, a lot of the blame is going to an easing of government restrictions on large gatherings, including political rallies. Two, India's government is more than a bit prickly over that blame, ordering Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to block around 100 posts that are critical of the government's handling of COVID. The government argues misinformation and inflaming of religious tensions, whereby critics say this is about suppressing political speech. Those social media companies, by the way, complied with the order. Three, some international help is on its way to India, including from the U.S. The White House last night said it will deploy additional supplies, including therapeutics, PPE, ventilators, and rapid testing kits. Four, this isn't just about India. As we said in the open, more person-to-person -person transmission means more possibility of new variants being created and spread, particularly as global travel reemerges. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Naomi Shaven, Sabina Singani, and Alex Sugiara. Have a great national pretzel day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.